All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of the podcast. And on the show today, we're going to be talking about the mountain goat hunt. So the day leading up to the mountain goat hunt, we ended up getting a hotel in central Colorado, getting one last solid meal, one last good night of sleep. And so me and a couple buddies, we were hanging out and just chatting about what our hopes were for the hunt, what the plan was um, on day one and the days leading up to it. And so I hope you really enjoy it. Unfortunately, we were recording everything on my phone because I wasn't able to bring all my podcast equipment with, and I don't have those fancy mics that just clip on or are portable, go wherever you want. And so everything was done on my phone, which led to some really bad transitions in the podcast, as well as I lost the last chunk of this conversation. So it kind of ends abruptly. I apologize ahead of time for that, but there is a lot of good content coming up over these next few podcasts as we break down each day of the mountain goat hunt one at a time. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Dive in and let's see what all we had to say that night. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to this episode of the podcast, and we are in a hotel right now in central Colorado, getting ready for a hike in tomorrow. 10 miles, but I'm here with Sean and Josh, two friends of mine. Josh is actually kind of an acquaintance until now, but I bet we're about to be real good friends after, <laughs> after this week. But we're chasing mountain goat, bear, and small game. So we're going to pack in tomorrow about 10 miles, and it is going to most likely kick our butts. We may take two days to do it, but how are you guys feeling? Oh, I'm ready for it. We've been training for quite a while. Thanks to Josh motivating me, <laughs> getting me out and uh, calling me every day, telling me, hey, are you ready? So I thank you for that. I w- I'm in a lot better shape for this hunt than I would have been if I didn't have your extra motivation. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, I had to miss the moose hunt due to the job interview down in Denver, so that kind of pulled me out of the moose hunt, which was a little depressing, uh, but... If you guys have listened to the other podcast, you know how that went. And so I missed out on that one. I wasn't going to miss out on this one. So a little bit of backpacking every day for about a month and a half, six weeks. And yeah, you guys have been doing, what, five miles yeah, a day? Yeah, 4.61 to be exact. But every day with the packs on, started light, about 20, 25 pounds, worked up to about 60. I don't know how heavy yours got. You had quite a bit of stuff on yours, so yours might have been heavier than even 60. I never did weigh it, but it was... It was up there. We uh we'd spent about once a week we'd go hike down to the high school and that was about a six mile round trip. And we'd hit the bleachers for a little while. Oh. Um apologies to any of the cheerleaders, we weren't looking. <laughs> but that was the only place that, we live in a flat town and mm. the only place to get any any sort of incline in our hike was to hit up the bleachers and run up and down those about 15 to 20 times and just push yourself. Every time we went, we'd say, oh, let's start it off. Let's do 10, and we'd do 11. And next time, let's do 15, and we do 17. And 
then all of a sudden we realized we had to slow down because we weren't <laughs> going to be able to keep that up for very long. Man, I did not train, and I know I'm going to be feeling it because I, when you said you were doing five miles a day, I was like, I'm going to do five miles a day. So I got my route, threw 50 pounds in my pack right out of the gate, oh. and holy cow. I mean, I was only at 800 feet of elevation, but it was hills all the way, and so I did the five miles, got back, said, screw it, I'm ta- I, I just had two 25-pound dumbbells that I put in my pack, took one out, did it again, and I think I only did that hike twice. The second time, I don't, you haven't heard this story, Sean has, I was like 400 yards from the end of my driveway, finishing up a hike, and I heard someone say, hey, where are you going? And I like stopped, and I looked all over, I mean, I'm out in the country, but I was out in front of this lady's house. And I'm looking around, and I don't see anybody. And so I stood there for a second, didn't hear anything else, finished my hike, got home, unloaded the pack, took a shower. Well, later that night, the guy who whose property we live on, he messaged me and said, hey, so one of the neighbors called the cops because there was some guy all in camo <laughs> walking around. And I was like, wait, what? First of all, I was not all in camo. I had a camo backpack, and that's it. Then the story developed because I was like, oh, my gosh, did you clear it up? He's like, I have – he said, I actually haven't even talked to her. The neighbor told me about it, but she called the cops because she said there was someone all in camo with a bomb strapped to his a chest. <laughs> that was my binocular harness. And I'm like, what in the world? Oh, so I'm two, two trips in of five miles, and we're about to hit – what we're starting at like eight thousand feet. I think eighty five hundred. Yep. And, and ending up probably around thirteen. Nine miles in. It's gonna be a jaunt. Yeah, that's just to get camp in, and with the way my pack is packed, it's gonna be two trips coming out. So yeah, it's gonna have to be with three of us. Um, that's one thing we didn't train for. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, there's no way to do it. Well, it's and- more than you can carry. Even with how much stuff we have, I mean, we've all got 10 days worth of stuff in our packs. They're not crazy heavy for having that much stuff, but the bulk, I mean, there's no extra room for anything. No, I can't imagine opening the meat shelf on my mystery ranch and throwing even 50, let alone 70 pounds of bear meat plus the the cape and the head and still being able to walk out of there even if I even if we're up there the full 10 days I eat up all the food that's still 20 pounds off the pack but there's still not enough room um I'd love to say walking downhill I could be like some of these other guys where they talk about their 150 pound pack outs but I'm 42 and I'm gonna I'd much rather just do two trips take the animal out the first day sleep in the truck eat some some food and head up there and get camp out the next day yeah I mean, I've seen some of those guys, like Cam Haynes. Have you seen yeah, his video? He shoots a human. bear and throws the whole yeah. bear on his <laughs> he's, shoulders. He's not human. I don't care. The guy's like five says. foot seven, <laughs> and like he's just carrying an he entire is. black bear on his shoulders. He's, he's a machine. Yeah, he definitely is. A couple things that I'm kind of nervous about, aside from the pack out, is no fires right now. Yeah. Statewide fire ban going yeah. on, and so that's going to be a little bit of a detour in our plans a little bit of a downer but you know as bad a fire season as we're having this year not just colorado but california oregon 
and it's better just to, to follow the rules. We have our little stoves, we can do our mountain houses and stuff. And it kind of stinks that if we catch some fish in some of the tra uh, streams or if we end up getting a grouse or something, there's, you know, we're gonna have to try to figure out what we can do with those because we can't have a fire. So maybe throw them in a pot with the, the stove and make a stew or something. But, you know, it is a little disappointing not to be able to poke a fire at night and talk about all the goats and the bears and the elk and the deer that we saw and just the, the wonderful God's country we're in right now. How, how many times have you guys been up here? Um, I tried scouting it in, on Memorial Day weekend and didn't have any access because of COVID. Oh, so yeah. we drove around the unit and just looked for trailheads and things like that that we could use to get in there. But a lot of it was shut off and and people being kept out of it for a while still because that was still kind of the peak of the the first wave so we just kind of checked it out and, and figured out as many access points as we can we got in a little bit of a hike but I figured it was better to put on the miles just driving around the unit seeing where we could go seeing uh, some of the places that would get me in close without without fighting the crowd so we're going to try to avoid most of the people and that's part of the reason for the long pack-in is just getting away from everybody and kind of being by ourselves getting to do our own thing yeah because there's a lot there's a lot easier routes to get to where we're going but that means there's going to be a lot more hunters taking those routes yep. and so if we can get on the opposite side and have them push to us yeah, yeah, we're gonna let we're gonna let the crowd work for us to, this week, and hopefully uh, get get back in there where some of the older, wiser goats are uh, bit seasoned. Know to get the hell out of there this time of year. We're gonna try to get out in front of them, and hopefully let everybody else push them into us. One in Colorado too, with a lot of the tags being either sex tags and. Usually the amount of time you have to wait to get a tag, a lot of the guys just aren't in good enough shape just at their age to be able to do it. So they're going to hit those spots, those tried and true spots where it's a truck takes you most of the way or an ATV or a horse, and then it's really just a mile. You get up there and do what you got to do. Um, this is really kind of a first for me, I missing the moose hunt, kind of one of those once-in-a-lifetime once hunts in Colorado. I just couldn't pass up a second time getting out with Sean. And then when he said he wanted to do a backpack style, um, kind of in preparation for other stuff him and I have been visiting about doing in the future with some Montana or some Alaska hunts. Where, so kind of getting in a home state where you're still kind of close enough to, to home where you feel comfortable, but at the same time you can get nine miles deep and oh, yeah. carry everything on your pack and kind of have that backpacking experience. and. God willing, some of the smoke clears so we can see some stars at night. And uh, I think it's just going to be kind of an all-around amazing experience because the moose hunt was one thing, but this one, packing all the way in with the three of us, you know, we're going to have some kind of just bond that you, you can't really talk about that we'll be able to express a little better in three, day, in three, four, five days once we've gone through it. I mean, you go nine miles deep with a couple guys and watching each other's backs and climbing up mountains and making sure you're taking care of each other and if anything happens that you get everybody gets off the mountain alive and gets off the mountain safe that that forms a bond that you can't really find in other places and oh, anymore yeah. so kind of excited about it yeah this is definitely first for me uh i've hunted a little bit of everything and never never once uh 
10 days in the backwoods or yeah. this kind of, I mean, I had spent a lot of money on gear just being prepared because this is a, a hunt like nothing I've ever been on before. So a lot of preparation, uh, definitely going to be a learning curve. I'm sure by the time I get down, I'll be throwing some stuff away knowing I'm never carrying <laughs> it in again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you just got to get out there and get your feet wet before you know how to plan for these in the future. And um, I've been really fortunate in drawing some tags, but I still have a bighorn uh, get my hands on. So I, I want to be prepared and I want to learn through this and just kind of know what I'm capable of. And uh, I'd definitely like to take my daughter on that, my wife and daughter on the bighorn hunt and just kind of knowing what they need without the extra weight. I'm I'm pretty sure we're breaking our backs a little more than we need to, but it's it's from inexperience at this point, just... Like I said, a hunt a, of a hunt type that I've never been on before. So I'm I'm excited to learn and get out there and see it and beat the bushes for a few days and beat up the binoculars and just spend some time. Uh, like I said, hunting a whole new way. Gonna be interesting. We'll have to we'll have to talk about some of that, like on a, on the follow up podcast. Because God willing, this is gonna be part one of three. And I think on that final podcast, we need to tell people, this is what we brought. This is what we used. This is what we definitely did not need. And But, I mean, it's obviously doable. You get guys like Remy Warren that are going back after game much bigger than a mountain goat by themselves with all the camera gear, and yeah. they're still making it happen. I don't know how he does it with his 30 pounds of camera gear on top of everything else he carries. I mean, granted, the guy's one of the top hunters that – roaming the earth right now especially in the north american setting with his experience but i mean i know for a fact i could cut 10 maybe 15 pounds but it cost me 1200 dollars. yeah you know i bought a tent that weighs six pounds instead of two because the six pound tent is 200 bucks same maker makes a lightweight one but it's you know 1200 dollars yeah my sleeping bag's heavier than you know, one of those really nice ones that, but again, it's a third the cost. So yeah. it's kind of that cost weight ratio. And I might not run very far, but I can, I'm built like a linebacker so I can carry heavy weight. So I figured it's better for me to save the pocketbook, especially with two teenage girls and a, a four year old to go light on the pocketbook and go heavy on the legs for now. Yeah. Yeah, none of us are in that position to pay the big bucks for everything. I mean, no, but we're looking for sponsors. Right, $1,000 yeah. $1, Stone Glacier uh, sleeping bag. If you want a, a testing group here, you can send us some yeah. of your gear. We've got limited sponsor spots for the upcoming yeah. Bighorn hunt. Right. Which, yeah, so speak up quick. Yeah, yeah hurry and jump on. going fast. And I mean, we're not going to take any low ball offers, so make sure it counts. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything fancy at all. I uh -huh. mean, nothing. Everything's either a hand-me-down, something I found cheap at a thrift store, or I just bought it as cheap as I could find it. But yeah, I mean, we're gonna pay for it and wait. Exactly. But also, when you're kind of an everyday hunter that doesn't get paid to do this stuff, that's yeah. what you have to go with. Well, makes yeah, you just gotta find a way to make it work. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's using the gear you have and the gear you've worked with for. 10 years and just hoping you can shove in a new pack if at best 
Well, it, you know? I mean, it really makes you just think, think in different ways. I mean, like the, the thing that you're bringing up that allows you to catch extra heat and wrap it around you if you need to and wind protection for the stove. Like I never even would have thought about bringing a, a visor kind of thing um, for a car visor to kind of aid in some of that stuff. And it's just, but you only think of that because we're in a position where we have to. Redneck engineering. We don't have, yeah, <laughs> have $10,000 worth of gear that weighs 35 pounds and we can stroll in. And I'll, I'll tell you what though, when I saw him show up and that was on the back of his pack, I was pretty upset at myself for dropping $120 right? on the sleeping pad <laughs> I brought. Yeah. And then, Thinking, man, that thing would do everything I was just hoping to find, and then some. Yeah. Well, the reason I even discovered it is because uh, we used to go floating all the time down in Arkansas, and we would hammock camp. I mean, there's trees all over, and so we'd hang a hammock. But even on warm nights, that breeze coming under you just zaps the heat from you. And yeah. so we had to figure out a way to keep that heat in underneath. And we were looking at all the high-end stuff, and it's like, oh man, you could get this under quilt, or you could get, you could get this pad that whoever makes that's two ounces and costs you four hundred bucks. And then someone was like, dude, just use a sun visor. And I was like, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> and then sure enough, man, we started using it, and it's kind of slippery. It it makes you slide different ways in a hammock sometimes, but we've used that now for years. Yeah, but that's genius. It's it's like an emergency blanket. It's like it gives you a little bit of insulation, and worst case scenario, you can use it to signal a plane if you had to. For I real, mean, it's, yeah. It's uh, multifunctional for something that you can probably buy for five or ten bucks. At it was a dollar ninety seven at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, where <laughs> you could go name yeah. brand. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Right I, I'll there. tell you why. It weighs about a tenth the pad I brought. Yeah. So. I saw that and I thought, man, I might have looked a little harder around here. I could have pulled some stuff out of my butt that probably would have been better than spending the money I did on this. But this hunt was a good reason for me to buy the stuff, some stuff that I've always wanted or needed. I mean, I've never had a sleeping bed. I've always just slept on the ground and this is... To go out and buy one, to me, I spent a good chunk of money on a handful of things, but to me it was deferred maintenance, and I always went cheap and yep. and didn't spend the money and just made do, and hunting as much in, as I do and all the different places I do, it was like, man, this stuff, if you buy the right stuff once, it'll last you forever. Exactly. So I kind of started to at least put together my tool bag for future hunts and hopefully kind of have the things I need moving forward. Well, and I'm kind of jealous of the stuff that you got. You got all that first light gear. Yeah. And that's stuff that I've been wanting for a long time. We're all big meat eater fans. And mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, it's probably because you're fully caught up on meat eater. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be listening to something better. But, uh, yeah, that stuff's pretty sweet. That's the one thing I've never spent money on is good clothing and camo and I know that can be a huge game changer. Yeah, there was uh, there was no way I was going to pull this off with my Carhartts that I yeah. wear elk hunting and, and just the, you know, you get a good jacket one year and you have to wait three years to buy a nice pair of pants. And mm-hmm. I was kind of finally in the position where I said, man, I'm just going to revise the way I do all of it and just regroup and kind of put together a nice get up and get a kit put together. So... 
They had that nice flash sale too. Great yeah. timing on that. Yep. It, the timing was right and the need for it was definitely here, but I couldn't even using my first leg gear, my pack's so full that there's no way I could have done it with no. what I used to use. No. Or, or I'd have been miserable all week because yeah. I wouldn't be able to bring everything I need. Yeah, stuff's amazing. I mean, I never thought much about it at all until I really got into kind of truck camping, camping out of the back of the truck and stuff. And then I found out <clears throat> that high-end stuff's worth its weight in gold. And a couple years ago, my hunting buddy of mine, Stacy, my brother-in-law, Jeff, and his business partner and I went up to Montana for an elk hunt. It's February. The high for the four days we were there was minus 32. It didn't get much colder than that, but it never got above that. And the day we ended up running into, you know, 600 elk, we had to backpack through uh, this property that uh, it's private property, but it allows hunting. And we were hunting shoulder seasons in Montana at the time, so we all had cow tags. And uh, we found uh, a way we could part. We, f we found the elk from the road, and they were forever and ever away. And there was no way to approach them from that side. But we figured if we could get around to the back side of the mountain and come over the top, we'd have a chance at them. So I'm on Onyx just... Looking around, looking around, looking around, seeing where all this guy's properties connect because they're kind of checkerboarded, but they're his properties. And so we finally find a way. It's an 11-mile hike, but we can drive to the backside of the mountain, get up to the ridge, follow the ridge, drop down on the backside of the ridge when we get close, and then pop over the top, and we should be within 400 yards of the elk, and we can make a plan from there. Well, we got about seven miles in, and we uh, popped up on that ridge, and we're, we're following that ridge line, and... My brother-in-law's business partner can see Stacy in the truck because Stacy didn't didn't want to do the hike, um, so she was going to stay there, keep an eye on the truck on the elk, and then if when we came over the ridge, if the elk weren't there, she was going to signal us that they weren't there, and we could just head straight to the truck. But she wasn't signaling us, but he he was wearing Carhartts, he was done, done. He's like, listen, man, I can't go any further. I'm just going to make a downhill bead. I'm gonna hit this seam and I'm gonna just make a bead for the truck. Um, and he was in bad shape, little did we know. Um, a couple times he sat down and thought about, man, this is this is getting that ugly. We actually beat him to the truck. So we still circled around those elk, never got closer than 400 yards and at, at minus 32 um, Primos sticks, I love you, but your glue failed at minus 32. And I couldn't get my trigger sticks to stay up. And with the depth of the snow and the height of the old uh, sagebrush there, I just I couldn't get down on the knee to get a solid rest. And at 400 yards standing offhand, I'm not going to try to shoot even a, a target as big as an elk. That's just not fair to the animal. Oh. And it's not fair to myself. So we ended up seeing a bunch of elk. It just didn't come together that day. Um, but even after circling around on those elk and chasing them and having two or three opportunities on them and then pushing to the road and then pushing from the road to the parking lot, we still beat him to the truck. Jeez. And the only difference is the clothes we were wearing, multiple, multiple layers, but they shed all that moisture out and let it evaporate off. And so I was staying warm with all those layers on and staying dry and he had gotten cold and wet and cold and wet and was starting to really, really wear on him. And that three day, three years ago was the point where I started telling everybody I know, like if you're doing a serious hardcore hunt, 
you gotta have, it doesn't have to be First Light, even though that's the brand I wear, you have to have high-end gear, because you can, even in modern-day America, if you're in minus 32 or if you're nine miles deep, you can get yourself in some deep stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be my next. I mean, I priced a bunch of different high-end brands out, and, I mean, First Light just happened to be the cheapest after I went through getting a good base layer, mid layer, and outer. Yep. Um, but, you know, at this point, I wasn't able to do it, but hopefully by next year I'll have that. Yeah, I can't tell you how long my shopping cart was loaded before I finally just decided I had to do it, and it was the only way to really make this happen. Twice. Yeah, twice. <laughs> uh, loaded my shopping cart twice. Uh, we're here now. So wait, is is the second shopping cart full of stuff showing up here? No. Oh. No, it showed up at the house, and sorry. Uh... And I was hoping it was for me, but you said they didn't have my size. No. They Even though have... I never told you what size I was. Well, no, they uh, only really, everything that I was shopping for only comes in men's sizes. <laughs> so, <laughs> they just didn't have what you were after. Sorry, Mark. That is so politically incorrect. I don't even know what to say about <laughs> Well, dude, yeah, that's awesome. I'm excited to see how all that gear works out. And... I am, too. I've, I haven't had a really good chance to test it. We, uh... Had a little snowstorm come through here, what, a week and a half ago probably? And I, I put it on more for one of my hikes, and I was super impressed with it then. It was the first time that my back wasn't completely soaked when I got home and took off my pack. And it was cold when we were out hiking, 30 degrees probably. Mm -hmm. And I, I had it unzipped halfway down in both my middle and outer layer. And I still stayed super dry, and I definitely didn't get cold. I was still sweating, so it was doing its job. That's cool. So I haven't had to get it put it to the test, really, but <laughs> going around the block in the neighborhood, I was pretty impressed by I mean, it definitely did what it was advertised to do. I, I got... So we've had that true timber gear for a long time. Yeah. Uh, ever since the moose hunt, actually. And... I've been using the base layer for elk hunting. Dude, that thing has been sweat and dried, sweat and dried, sweat and dried so many times. I can't get the stink out of it. <laughs> I didn't bring it with on the sun. I don't know how good mountain goats can smell, but it would have smelled me before we left the hotel room. Man, that's, that's one thing I've been thinking about with this mountain goat hunt is there's no way to play the wind no, when not you that just high have up. to play the terrain. Yep. Well, even... I mean, you're on a ridge that you just can't run around and circle around behind them on without dropping 3,000 feet of elevation coming back on the other side of them. That's been one thing where I just don't know. I, I don't know how to play it, and and instinctually, I'm just going to go right for them. If I see one that I want, I'm just going to make as quick of an approach as I can and get in range and hopefully get a shot before they do realize the gig is up and, and start to booger out of there. Put her down. But, yeah, I don't know. Him? <laughs> Put her down. Uh, but yeah, just... It, it's This is going to be a whole new adventure as far as the way you hunt these things. I'm, I have a lot to learn, and I'm looking forward to the experience on it. It's going to be neat. How many days 
do we have now to scout three three full days before yep. the hunt starts? Yep. Tomorrow will be our first day on the mountain on Saturday, and then the season opens Tuesday morning. So we're we're going to be bear hunting and looking for some grouse and ptarmigan and some other small game, and uh, hopefully find a bear in that three days. And if not, on Tuesday we plan on being nine miles in and almost on top of the mountain and ready for them to, to kick off of opening day. Hopefully know where they are, yeah. Yeah, it, it, hopefully we can be on one before then, but yeah. it's from our hike in, it, we kind of have a tough angle for a mountain goat. If they're on top of the mountain, we're going to be coming in through the valley and it's going to be, we're only going to get to catch a glimpse of them if they come over the side and get and expose themselves, but... There could be a hundred of them right on top, and we'd never even know they were there. We're gonna hike right past them. What uh, what do you guys think about doing a little wager on how long we think it's gonna take? Well, I mean, I'm always down for it. Uh, I know Quick Draw over here likes to finish them off early, so. I mean, here <laughs> this this would have to be the stipulation. It would be, how quick do we think you'll get your first? legit shot opportunity because no, it's if you're like I decide to <laughs> that's what I'm getting at you well, can you definitely get <laughs> yeah you might just not get the vote you'll have to put your money in but you won't get the pot <laughs> well I, going back to the moose hunt I wasn't going to shoot one opening day until the one I wanted was standing in front of me opening day so it's very tough to tell Colorado's not known for monster uh, mountain goats so, I don't know what the criteria is I'm looking for on this one, and therefore, I, it'd be hard for me to say, it'd be easy for me to play the bet, yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot harder for me to tell you what I'm looking for and to just wager on how long it's going to take to find that, because really knowing that there's not trophy class big, or mountain goats in Colorado... I think the best thing you can look for is a nice coat and one that's not broke off. And then at that point, hopefully, got decent horns. But I really, I'm not sure at this point what I'm looking for. I don't know what it is. It's going to be, hopefully we get to lay our eyes on a few of them when there's no question of me being able to pull the trigger. And by then, I'll at least have an idea of what's in the neighborhood and what could be considered a, as good of a goat as I can get. Yeah. Um, after that, it's going to be whichever one speaks to me, whichever one I want to look at for the rest of my life, I guess, because mm-hmm. it's probably going on the wall. Well, and these are one of the harder animals to judge anyway, even if you know what you're doing. Yeah. And all of us, obviously, are inexperienced as far as hunting them. Uh, I've, I've got a solid 10 hours of watching videos on them <laughs> and trying to learn, but, yeah, I mean... Um, I think by the time I lay eyes on one, it'll be the fourth or fifth mountain goat I've seen in my life. They're just, they're not really common in the areas that I inhabit. I like so. your, I like your 10 hours of video comment because I've watched just about every whitetail hunting show there is and I've never <laughs> even killed a booner. So <laughs> if that says anything, yeah. no, I, I mean, I'm with you. I've, I've watched this stuff and I've tried to study up because, you know, we want to be as well educated as possible, but yeah, the, 
the Colorado Division or Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, puts on a nice seminar every year, and this year didn't get to do it in person because of COVID. So they put on a nice webinar, but they sent you some good links to videos you can watch that explain the difference between a Billy and a Nanny, because from a distance into an untrained eye, you can't tell them apart. Um, but a couple of good videos through the Division of Wildlife. I think uh, the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance video they showed. And they also sent a link for the Alaska Gaming Parks. Um, that one was very educational too. But a lot of quizzes on, you know, a snapshot of a goat and then asking you if you think it's a Billy or a Nanny. And, um, about like high school, I'm about a 50% so far on getting it right and <laughs> passing those tests. But, uh, you know, learning through all that, the, there's ways to tell through the antlers and or through the horns and everything, but the real two dead giveaways are to watch your urination posture and uh, if you can get a billy to turn the other way, you can see their scrotum. And those are really the only two guarantees that you have other than if you can get close enough to really judge the base of the horn compared to the size of its eye. So, in this big country, that's going to be pretty tough to get that close. Well, and I don't know how big their scrotum is, but is it going to be a whole lot easier to like see with that long white hair than <laughs> judging yeah, the base of the... They hang pretty far back. If you can get them facing away from you, you can, they stand out. I'm not usually one to look for that, but yeah, I don't think, I think you're an old pro. <laughs> I think I just got a picture of a buck on trail camera the other day that just gave me a full, a full goat. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I mean, they're not they're not quite as big as the bighorns, but they're pretty proud of them. They don't mind showing them off. Oh. But those are those are the only two guarantees, and after that. Judging them by the horn shape, it, you can kind of do it, but at four or five hundred yards through a spotter scope, that's going to be pretty tough to do with any sort of mirage or any any side wind or anything that's going to shake your mm -hmm. spotter scope. You're going to have a hard time doing that, I think. Yeah, I watched several videos like up in Alaska of guys mountain goat hunting, and even there, like a couple of them were dead set like this is a big billy and then they shoot it and it ends up being a nanny yeah, yeah i watched a handful of videos where they hunted them for five or six days laid eyes on plenty of goats and when they're confident and they finally put one down it's not until they walk up on it and open the legs that they find out they were wrong yeah that'll be interesting yeah. i'm curious to see just just how many goats we're gonna see too you know i don't even know what to expect if it's going to be, hey, we see a half a dozen or, you know, we're seeing that many daily or every morning and evening, I don't know. I've talked to a couple people that have had the tag before, and one of them told me that he, had an, he actually had a nanny tag, but he hiked in exactly where we're going. I think uh, the other side of the lake from where we'd like to head, and he said he killed his midday and had it packed out that same day, and in the meantime, laid eyes on four different groups of goats. 
Wow. Uh, well, and generally, though, if it's a group of goats, that means that it's a nanny with kids, mm-hmm. and it's not quite what we're after. But to see four different groups hopefully means there's four different billies running around there. Yeah. And maybe be a little harder to find or anything, but it, you know, at least sounds like the quite a few goats in the area should have some luck. And I just recently had a friend shoot a bighorn in this unit, and he said that he saw plenty of goats. He's definitely a he went in on a different end of the unit, and uh, I think he's about six miles the way the crow flies away from where we're headed but he said he saw a good handful of goats and if uh if the original plan doesn't work out we're going to try to see if we can get down there and go at it from that angle nice well i think that's the biggest strength we have it was originally going to be six of us it's dropped down to three but the three of us with camp on our packs on our backs we have the ability to to go where the animals are. We yeah. don't have to pigeonhole ourselves into this is our plan and we're going to stick it out even when we're not seeing anything. We can we can do this. I think Sean's come up with a fantastic plan for, for where we're at. Um, I think we're going to have success, but we also have the ability to change instantly if we need to. If we're, I mean, it's a 9, 10-mile hike in. Anywhere along there, we could end up seeing what we want to see and stop and keep an eye on that billy for a couple days while we look for bears at the same time or we could get all the way in there and have to pack out a day and a half later because we're not seeing anything we're in the wrong spot and try a different spot and that's I think that's something Sean's really good at I tend to hold my cards a little longer than maybe I should when I have a plan but I think Sean's really good at saying all right it's time to fold this we need to change up what we're doing and move on. So he's already, in the in all the walks we've done, we've already talked about contingencies and what if here and what if there, and we need to head this direction to start, but if we're not seeing anything with three of us, we can each kind of fan out and try to find what we're looking for, and then when we find what we look for, we can move camp and hone in. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've noticed that with you, Sean, is being able to adapt to the situations and change plans if we need to definitely in the goose blind i don't know how many times i heard something's messing with these geese we better we better move the spread around (laughs) but no seriously i like even on the last podcast that you were on with tony talking about not hiking in in the dark because you're passing up good glassable country uh area that the the goats or the bears or whatever it might be in like we talked about just busting our butts and hiking all the way in in one day but if we're in good bear country, there's no reason to rush. We can take our time, be looking around, and maybe spot a bear on the way in. Yeah. Hopefully catch a couple brook trout and enjoy. Oh, we're here to get it done, but I also uh, don't get a whole lot of time off and, and time in the woods to just get the opportunity to soak it up like we're going to have, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're definitely here on a mission. But part of that also has to be to find ourselves a little bit, too. And I don't get paid for this, so I'm not going to work it, you know, treat it like it's work. I want to make sure I'm having a good time and enjoying my weekend and, or my weekend and getting everything out of it that I want. And in the end, ultimately, that's definitely going to mean a goat. Mm-hmm. But we got we got a little bit of time to 
soak it up. I mean, this is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, let alone had the chance to carry a tag and hunt. Um, so just being able to enjoy it, I'm really, one thing I'm certainly looking forward to is being at elevation and seeing the stars at night. And I hope this damn smoke clears up and we actually get a good show. Mm -hmm. But it, it's about just enjoying your time out here too. I mean, you're two great guys and just want to make sure that I'm getting everything out of this that I want because I don't think I'm, I can ever get this tag again or an opportunity to hunt a mountain goat. And I just got to do my best to soak it up in the week that I'm here. Definitely get my money's worth out of it. Yeah, as much time and money and energy we've put into getting ready to this point, I mean, it's not just to pack out a trophy. It's We're paying for the experience also. Yeah. And that, I'm, that's something that comes with the age, you know. Uh, Ten years ago, I'd be chomping at the bit, and I'd be <laughs> trying to get in there right now. And... As I get older, I just keep telling myself, like, take a deep breath and enjoy this and and have fun and just soak it all up and, you know, look for the finer details that I was always so goal-driven on, on getting something and, and going home successful that you miss out on all the smaller things that happen along the way, the, you know, the laughs and the stories and the, the good times that come with it, let alone... You know, taking a minute and just step apart from the group and enjoy the scenery. Take it up and take a mental snapshot because those things last forever. It's as a kid, you don't realize it, and as an adult, you look back on those times where you did take, give yourself a minute and you did, you know, look at that horizon or look at the beautiful sunset. And and it's crazy because I've seen the thousands of them in my life, but there's definitely a handful that stand out. And in the moment, you never even knew that. But as an adult, you start to cherish some of that a little more. Well, and it's nice when you can notice that on the way out. And, I mean, for me, bringing a camera out here, I don't want to get wrapped up in the filming of it and not see it, like, with my own eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to experience it and remember it because there's something way different about being able to close your eyes and picture a place versus looking at a phone and being like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. I mean, you were still there, but to actually be fully present in the moment. Yeah, my little brother showed me that once. That there was a whole bunch. I, I don't remember if we were driving or walking, and there, there was a crowd of people standing there looking at the horizon and watching the sunset. And they all had their phones out, and they were all taking pictures. And he walked right up in the middle of the group with his hands in his pockets and just said, I'm going to remember this one, and made no effort to take a picture of it and be able to share it with his friends or anything. He just soaked it in himself, and that's when I said, you know what, man, he's, he's definitely onto something there, because like you said, picture doesn't do it justice. It's your memory. It'll get better with your memory, and it always stay the same in the picture, so it was cool to learn from him on that. Well, yeah, I think definitely like the video and the picture and even doing podcasts, it's more for sharing than it is for remembering, you know, like a picture is so you can share it with other people. Mm -hmm. But when you put the phone down or the camera down, you can definitely remember it a lot longer. Like even on your moose hunt, there's things that happen there that I will never forget. Even even that moment where you were able to harvest it, 
Nobody has any documentation of it. Nobody has pictures of it, video evidence, but I will never forget that image. Yeah, it's vivid in my mind. Yeah. So, I look forward to all that stuff. Absolutely. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. Yeah, before we know it, we're going to be sitting around at the house cracking beers talking about Remember last year when we went on that goat hunt? Yeah. How much fun that was? Like we're in the middle of it now and we got to try to slow everything down and enjoy it cuz it'll be over and we'll be talking about it as a memory before you know it. It might be you know, you're back in town for a your turn at a goat or a moose hunt or Maybe it's I finally want a drawing and it's a sheep hunt for me in, in Wyoming or something. Who knows? But we'll be talking about the hunt we're on right now. and got to really take that time to, to soak it in because you only get so many hunts, let alone big tag hunts, goats, sheep, moose. You only get so many of them. And you got to soak them up, go with your friends, form good relationships, and just allow yourself to... To live a primitive life, yet a carefree life, yet a, a full-fledged human experience life. And you don't get that many places in today's modern world with phones and Instagrams and Snapchats and all that other stuff. So it's good to actually connect with the wild lanes again. And you don't get yeah. to do it very often. Oh, I can guarantee you the one thing I'm really looking forward to is being out of cell service for mm. 10 days and <laughs> having my play, phone on airplane mode and just keeping it alive long enough. Use Onyx if I have to, but not uh, not worrying about any phone calls. And I left my work phone at home, and I got nothing to, plan, nothing to worry about up here but having a good time and enjoying the show. Yeah, I think... I think getting unplugged is going to be good for all of us. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I like about, I mean, even this mountain goat hunt or a bighorn hunt is it gets you in a different terrain. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go and hunt mule deer, elk, moose, all in the same general area a lot of times. Or like even whitetail and mule deer, you can find those in the same place. But to be up here pursuing something, it's got to be a goat or a bighorn, really. There's not much else up here. Yeah, there's probably... I know there's a handful of high-altitude deer hunts in Colorado you can get. Um, maybe some bear activity you could get up into. But other than that, it's goats and sheep at these elevations. And I've never, never shared habitat with either one of them, really, to speak of. I mean, we saw some uh, bighorns on the way up here. But they were down on the interstate, I think, getting some old salt off of the side of the road. But totally different to see them in their natural environment and above timberline and just being sheep and goats and doing what they do. Cracking not, heads. Not habituated to the uh, human encroachment on their habitat, but actually go into their habitat and find them there. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a fun time. I mean, there's a possibility we hear some bugles on the way in. There's a possibility we hear some Rocky Mountain thunder, just some cracking heads in the distance. I mean, it's the possibilities are, are endless, which is part of the draw and part of the fun. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I'm excited just to see all the different wildlife. I've never seen a mountain goat. I've never seen a bighorn that wasn't right off the road. 
I've never seen a black bear that wasn't right off the road. Never seen a mountain lion. I mean, those are all possibilities. Absolutely. And so I think it'll be cool. There's something about just watching animals that have no idea year round, mm-hmm. just watching them do their thing, what they do every day, day in, day out, interacting with each other. That's exciting to me. All right, so one of the main things I'm bummed about is not being able to have a fire for rocks because that trick where you put rocks in the fire, heat them up, wrap them up in a towel or something, and either stick them between your legs or at your feet. I mean, we've used that for years. And actually, so my buddy Jimmy and I, we were camping down in Arkansas, and I'm pretty sure it was like February, like early February. It was single digits that night. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't bring a tent or anything, but there's a horse barn. Back in like the 50s, the government bought all the land on the Buffalo National River um, for like pennies an acre. And, and they just turned it into a national river area. And so we stay at this place called the horse barn. It's just a big two-story barn. And we've hung hammocks in there before, but we didn't bring tents, hammocks, tarps, nothing, just our sleeping bags. And so I was like, dude, what we'll do is we'll sleep out by the fire, do the rock trick, bring a towel with. And so we got out there. I had this beautiful, lush beach towel. I mean, like (laughs) fresh off the press, right? And he pulls out basically tissue paper. (laughs) I mean, it is the towel he's used for his entire life, most likely. Maybe he got sent home from the hospital with it. (laughs) And he wrapped it up. He had my buddy Brad's sleeping bag. And he woke me up in the middle of the night, just shivering, huddled next to the fire. He had stoked it, so it was super huge. And he's like, dude, Dan, Dan, I don't want this to sound gay or anything, and we don't ever have to tell anybody about it, but can we can we please share a sleeping bag? The rock burned through the towel and burned through the sleeping bag, and I'm freezing. And so I told him, I was like, dude, we can zip the sleeping bags together, but we are not sharing a sleeping bag. And he's like, that's fine, that's fine. 30 minutes later, I wake up, and his legs are fully over the top of my legs. And I'm like, Jimmy, get off of me right now. And, uh, yeah, so then that turned into, like, probably 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. I get woken up by Jimmy again, and this time he's huddled next to a giant fire. Dan, wake up, wake up. I hear something. There's something out here with us. And I'm like, dude, come on. I mean, we're like four miles back. It's the easiest four-mile trek you could imagine. Um, But he heard something, and I was like, dude, shut up. Go to sleep. And all of a sudden, I heard it. And I was like, what in the world? We We were camping probably like 20 yards higher up than the river, but only like probably 15 yards from it. And whatever crossed through that creek was big. And looking back, I'm guessing it was elk or a couple elk. Because they've got a pretty good elk herd down in that area. But, dude, it was loud. And I was like, holy (laughs) crap. And also, I was so tired. I was like, I'm going back to bed. But he stayed up the rest of the night, just kept the fire rolling, and he was scared to death. That's a miserable night. Yeah. Dude, they actually, so totally off topic of goat hunting, there was a guy down in Arkansas who bought a tiger on the black market and it got too expensive to feed, so he released it in the Buffalo National oh, River gosh. area. And two different hikers had um, like called in complaints about what they thought was being attacked by a tiger. And they were hiking down there, and they, they both had the same story, that this tiger ran up on them, 
Um, they got in like the fetal position, just thinking, it's you know, right. I'm gonna play dead. And they said that it just like batted him around like a ball, was nuzzling its head up against him like a dog that wants to be pet would. And they're like, for about 10 minutes, it did that. And then it lost interest and ran off. But I'm like, dude, think about being that guy, having no idea that there's a tiger out there. And even if you did, it would be terrifying. Oh, God. But, yeah, full-grown tiger out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what happened to that. I should probably look that up. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin. (laughs) She's guilty, dude. I mean, she killed her husband and fed him to tigers. Yes. Carol effing Baskin. That show was amazing. Oh, that was a good show. That was a good show. I've got an, I've got an uncle who is basically Tiger King. Nice. All the drama, none of the cool cats. <laughs> none of the cool cats. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. No cool kittens? <laughs> All you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> a Ruger 1022 that came through the gun store. And it was, had a big tiger on one side. Big open mouth and teeth and claws rearing out and the guys kept teasing me to, to buy it and I said if it on the other side of that Ruger 1022 if it said Carol F and Baskin it would have been one of the first things I snatched up at the store but I couldn't pull the trigger without I wonder if Ruger will ever come out with like a Joe Exotic edition they should they need to that'd be their number one seller <laughs> <laughs> we could auction them off at the turkey banquet could you imagine PETA it needs to be a throwing a fit. <laughs> well, we already shoot animals and eat them and hey, you wanna, honor them. You want to hear something terrible? I Googled my name a couple years back. The president of PETA, his name is Dan Matthews. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know if it is still this is. Is undercover but sting? <laughs> this is undercover boss, boss right yeah. now. Except neither of you work for me in any capacity. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet, yeah. Hey, maybe when the podcast takes off, right? you guys exactly. will come on board. Absolutely. You'll be the Remy Warren. <laughs> yeah. You'll be the, uh, dang it, what's the guy's name? No. What's, uh, what, uh, the world's greatest small game hunter? Uh-huh. Kevin Murphy. Kevin Murphy. Kevin we just Murphy. went through this. <laughs> Sean's going to be Kevin <laughs> Murphy. <laughs> Well, they know we're coming now. The diet's their fault. I still remember Sean talking about the moose hunt, and he's like, when I get up there and pull the trigger, I'm just going to say, Sean Lashinsky. So the last (laughs) thing that animal hears is the name of the man who took its life. (laughs) It didn't work out that way. Uh, I cried a little bit. Dude, you were a wreck, man. It's a, it's a big I deal, it. man. It takes a lot of years to do this, and a lot of dreams go into I spend, even the mountain goes, spend more time thinking about it and dreaming about it than it's going to take to hunt it. Mm-hmm. Well, and you have so much respect for the animals you're pursuing. Not every, I mean, I've hunted with plenty of guys who it's just a kill fest. And, you know, the meat, sometimes the meat doesn't even get used up. It's just poor poor sportsmanship, you know, on their end, being a hunter, being someone who goes out and does that. But you and your family have definitely shown me a different level of respect for the animals. If uh, we have more than we can eat before hunting season comes around again and it's time to fill the freezers, we're sharing it with everybody we know. And I have have come from a very large family. 
and have a large group of friends, and I'll just tell any of them, come over for dinner tonight, I'm going to cook you an elk steak, and when you get here, bring a grocery bag. We're sending you home with some meat. Mm-hmm. And um, there's definitely, we filled a lot of freezers, not just my own. So that's the nice part about doing what we do is just to take from the land and make sure it goes to a good use. So I, I love it. We're just getting through the last of the moose right now. And it's a good thing because I leave for uh, elk hunt about three weeks after this mountain go hunts over. So it's it's time to fill the freezers again. So we're trying. Well, I want to smack a bear because bear meat's one of your Lashinsky family's favorite meat. So. Oh, man. That's part of the thing. You know, three guys go in, we might only have a... One goat tag, one bear tag, and several small game options, but all three of us are coming out with meat. All three of us are coming out with memories, and if the Lashinskis are that into bear meat, then I'm going to share as much of it with them as I can, because I've never had it, so I can't, I'm looking forward to having my first bear, but I also want to share it with a family that's been very kind to me, and they've let me use their land to, to shoot and sight in rifles, and Whenever I, my four-year-old sees Sean's dad, he's always so kind to her, and she has the biggest smile and goes and gives him a big hug. You know, the Lashinsky clan's a good clan to, to be involved in. So if they all like bear meat, then I'm going to share as much of it with them as I can. Well, I hope you like goat meat. Yeah, buddy. We'll have to make some uh, fajitas and some Absolutely. tacos and some, some uh, burgers. Absolutely. Bear burgers, best eating you can do. I've had bear burger. I haven't had any other bear. Any, I mean, I haven't had it prepared any other way. Um, I don't know that I care to ever eat another bear steak because trichinosis scares me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you I, don't I eat. traditionally eat my steaks pretty rare. And by the time I cook it well enough that I'm confident there's not trichinosis in it, mm-hmm. it's beyond well done for my liking. Mm-hmm. So... Um, my two cents would be to grind it all up and make burger out of it, but you can't find better burger. I, I'm sure there's plenty of great recipes out there, and I haven't had enough. I've shot a couple bears, but in our elk camp, which is when we carry bear tags, anything that's shot at elk camp gets shared with the group because the whole group is in there helping you get it out. They're... We butcher ourselves, so we all show up and we all have a butcher party and break it down ourselves. And it's always been our belief that if they're going to show up and give up their day to, of hunting to help you pack their yours out, we're going to share that meat with you, let alone the time spent butchering and mm-hmm. smoking and grinding and, and all the steps that go into the butchering and, and packaging process. Um, when if you shoot an elk one year, you might only get thirty pounds of elk that year, mm-hmm. but you'll also feed four other families with another thirty pounds too. Yeah. So it's good. Um, I remember being younger; it was kind of a bummer the year that you'd shoot an elk, and then you'd only get a couple of gro- you know, good <laughs> full grocery bags out of it. But you're like, man, I shot a whole elk, and here I am with a quarter of an elk. But then you go through a year or two where you never shoot an elk and you still get 30 pounds of elk. Mm -hmm. It's a good year, you know. So what goes around comes around. 
I just wish the rest of the people in my group would shoot some more elk. (laughs) (laughs) So that we're not always the ones giving up elk. Uh, Just kidding, guys, if you're listening. But uh, I think they are. The uh, I think my listeners the, on this is about base. the same exact size as our elk group. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same guys. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's awesome, man. The years though that we've shot bears, you you only get about three pounds of meat out of the bear by the time we split it fifteen ways with everybody that pitched in along the way, and. So it's hard to say, but a bear burger is definitely my favorite wild game at this point. I hope a mountain goat's pretty good. But I heard mountain lion's really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to eating one of those, too. Well, we get a bear this year, you're getting a third of it, so. Nice. A lot more than three pounds. Nice. Maybe five. <laughs> you're going for a big one. Right. That's a high mountain bear, so Have you, I really don't know what to expect. Just don't. I can't. I can't imagine they're going to be 300, 400 pounds rolling around in, in the Alpine area. But maybe there's enough berries this year that a big one stuck around. But I'm. Yeah, I shoot something that's 200 pounds. I will be giddy as a as a kid on Christmas. Have you guys done like bear roasts at all? Is that any good? Um, I don't think so. I think we, we kept the back straps and the tenderloins, made steaks out of those, and then everything else went into burger. And uh, for us, that just helps us spread it out a little further. Yeah. If somebody takes a 10-pound roast, then everybody else gets left out on the whole <clears throat> split in the deal. That makes sense. So, um, like I said, there's a lot of other things that you could do with it, but where we're sharing it with everybody... Um, the only way to really make it fair and to make sure everybody gets their cut they deserve mm-hmm. is to grind it up and package it, and then we just count the number of packages it and or packages and divide it by how many people are there. And we'll try one this year. Yeah, we're lucky enough to get one. We can send a some bear ham, guys, and they get a bear ham for the walk. <laughs> That's a bit of an inside joke. A little bit. I, a little bit. I didn't catch it at all. Uh, I was like, I don't know what. No, so I like? when, when we were on our hikes, there was a night where uh, we went on our hike. Stairs. And, and they, uh, yeah, we did stairs. And the wife said, hey, on your way home, I have some tequila or some margarita mix. I need you to grab me a bottle of tequila. And so uh, on our way home, we stopped by the liquor store. And I grabbed a big handle of tequila, and Josh said, what's that for? And I said, oh, I'm just practicing for carrying out a bear ham. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, so I threw it in the pack on top of the weight I was already carrying, which by then my legs were dead. Mm-hmm. I was, we'd already, that was our first time doing the oh. stairs, and the first time we took it to the next level. And by the time I threw the extra you know, four or five pounds of tequila in there. It was as brutal as it could be with six mile hike and 20 flights of stairs. Yeah, it was miserable. I was getting the roller out and having to roll out the sore muscles and the quads and the calves for a good five, six days. Just that, I mean, you're used to walking stairs. And at that point we were used to walking with weight, but walking with 40, 50, 60 pound packs up and down those stairs, and we counted them. It was 52 or 56? It was uh, 52. 52 stairs at that high school football stadium. And so it was up and down was one 
uh, counted as one rep. And that first day we did 12, and then 12 or 13. And the next time we said we were going to do 15, we did 17. The next day we said we were going to do 20. I did 20, and Sean did 22, I think. And, I mean, it's just, it got easier as we did it. But that first day, I mean, I had quarter size uh, blisters on the back of my feet, even though we'd already been walking for four or five weeks at that time. I had calf cramps like you wouldn't believe. I couldn't go up and down the stairs at the house for three or four days without looking like a 90-year-old man who was crippled. You guys um, need to stop talking about this because the more you talk, the more unprepared I feel. <laughs> I, I was doing really good on, I mean, Josh was, I think, uh, what'd you say he did, 26 days before the 4th of July holiday? Yeah. And went on vacation with your family and took four days off, and then he came back and did something like 60 days straight. Yeah, I, I hammered, I think I took between July... Fourth and today, I took four days off total. Um, two of those were because with my jobs and then pig roasts or other stuff going on, there just literally wasn't any time in the day for me to do it. And the other two were, we were getting close enough to the hunt at this point. I'm in as good a cardiovascular and muscular shape as I'm going to be for the hunt. I just need to rest up, let my feet rest, let my legs rest, let my mind rest a little bit before we're actually in the mountains so that my body can be ready to go rested. My mind can be sharp for seeing what we need to see, uh, keep each other safe, uh, not make any stupid decisions. Cause that's the, even with the mountain lions, the bears, the weather, the, the most dangerous thing up there is not keeping your mind straight and making a stupid decision that you know you shouldn't make and putting yourself in a situation that your friends now have to put themselves in a dangerous situation to get you out of. So. Yeah, it, it's not the wildlife, it's the mountain. And I mean, nine miles deep, there's, you don't get a self-rescue if you hurt yourself too bad up there. No. It's literally a helicopter ride out of there. And, you know, speaking of the mountain, it could be hypothermia or it could be triggering an avalanche or a rock slide. I mean, there's no snow here, so it wouldn't be snow, but... There, you know, crossing scree fields and things like that. There's a high chance of triggering a rock slide, or, or you know, putting yourself in a bad position with your one of my friends above you, or above me, or below me, and I let a rock loose, and and it gets on them. So there's a lot that I've thought about for this hunt that I've never had to worry about before, and. Part of it weighs heavy on me, and I appreciate you guys for coming out with me and helping me on this, because this is at least definitely the the way I plan to do this. There's absolutely no way I could do it alone. And I know that there's a lot of risk in this, and if it all goes well and we get out of here, all right, we're pretty lucky by doing it. Mm -hmm. I know I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but that the last... Uh, hunting fatality in Colorado happened in this unit somebody that was pursuing a mountain goat and I think it was an avalanche or fell off of a cliff but it's this is unforgiving country up here I mean it, like I said going from the rocks or the rock slides to a storm front moving in and 80 mile an hour winds and 
you know, negative temperatures can happen very easily at 13, 14,000 feet. Um, we're at, where we're planning on camping is at the base of a, one of the 14ers here in Colorado. And talk about extreme weather changes. In, in those kinds of environments, it can happen in a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And at that elevation, minimal, you know, negative temperatures or, uh, like I said, 80-mile-an-hour winds, it could still be 30 degrees, but you put that with 80-mile-an-hour winds, and mm-hmm. it, it can, things can go from bad to worse real quick. So I appreciate you guys, you know, putting your lives on the line and, and going on this adventure with me, and I'm not trying to be a downer, but... I know that there's a lot of risk in this, and I appreciate you guys for being here to help me and help me succeed, and at the end, I know we'll all be all right, but I also know that it, uh, it's, it's not hunting a whitetail in, in your backyard somewhere in Kansas or mm-hmm. North Dakota, you know, this is, things could get real serious real quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're all three guys who are seasoned enough in our hunting careers to not be bloodthirsty so much <laughs> so that we're going to make a decision that'll put each other in danger. I think we're all, I think we're all on the same page as far as yeah. being wise about it, going with our gut, not forcing anything, and just trying to make it happen, but enjoying it and not and not rushing it. Yeah. Really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good time and good people and the mountain's going to be amazing. It's going to be here a millennia after I'm gone, so be able to put my footprint on a mountain that countless other humans, bear, saber-tooths, and God knows what's coming after me is going to put their footprint on it doing the same thing I'm doing. Hopefully in the same way I'm doing it. It's just, it's a privilege that kind of, you know, connects you to the earth and to the land and to your ancestors and to every other person who finds solace and peace and a part of themselves in nature. And that's that's the part that's hard to explain to a lot of people, for me anyway, is that, yes, I do go hunt. Yes, I do kill, but I still absolutely adore, care for the animals that I'm chasing in a way and appreciate them in a way that others who just view them as something from afar never could and to actually get to do that with a with a mountain goat i've seen quite a few in the wild but to actually be able to put my hands on one is going to be something that's really cool uh, i've never forget the first time i touched it you know the deer the first deer i got to touch when i went hunting as a kid with my dad or the first elk the first time you get to grab and put your hands on those giant antlers of an elk or uh, when Sean had his moose and I got to actually, you know, put my hands on it, even though I wasn't at the hunt, I got to go over to his house and feel the antlers, look at the, still had the vein, the vein markings in the antler from when it was in velvet. Um, so it was really cool to get an up close view of an antler to where you can still see where the, the blood flow for that antler was there. Still had a little crack in it from fighting, um, all the, the, just the detail and the And unfortunately, that is where our conversation got cut off, and I lost the audio file for the remainder of it. But we did have a ton of fun talking, dreaming, 
looking forward to what the future days on the mountain had in store for us. And you're going to have to tune into the next couple episodes in order to hear how that all played out and wrapped up. So I look forward to uh, posting all those episodes. And please go on and leave a review and a rating on whatever platform you're listening. That definitely helps me out on my end. And don't take into account the crappy transitions and segues on this one. It was pretty rough. Unfortunately, I was very limited with only having my phone to record on. But we did have a lot of fun, and I look forward to bringing the rest of that content to you. So until next time, always choose adventure. Get out there and hunt or fish or camp or do something. I know I've been hunting like crazy here, and it's been a lot of fun. Even without shooting something, I like getting out in the woods this time of year. So um, until next time, God bless. We'll see you.